Um, does anybody in here remember the first time you had a dream of greatness, being great or having a significant life? I got to tell you, when I was in the second grade, that was when I had my first thought about greatness. Now, you're going to be unimpressed by what my thoughts were, but I just got to tell you what they were because you know how second graders think, or maybe you can remember how they think, or you got a second grader, so you're real sure how they think. I, um, I lived in a little town in eastern North Carolina called Beulahville. Have you ever heard of Beulahville, North Carolina? I lived there. Yeah, yeah. That's why that city's famous. And um, I was in the second grade, and I remember dreaming of coming to a day and an age in my life when I would be able to drive a car. And I would get a red convertible. I was going to get a red convertible. Now, a red convertible now may not be like a big deal, but any car red and any car that was convertible back then was awesome. And so I was going to get a red convertible. And I had a couple of buddies who thought like I did, had the same intelligent mindset that I had. So I was going to get them with me, and we were just going to drive. I had no idea how I was going to get money. I hadn't thought about that part, but... We were going to just drive all over the country impressing chicks with this red convertible. That was my dream. That's where I was. That's where my mind was in the second grade. So you can imagine what, what happened from there. But um, so that was my dream of greatness. So we've all had those dreams. And you remember all that when you were growing up and what you're thinking about what you wanted to be. And, you know, just dreams of greatness. You wanted that. So we're going to talk about that today. Everybody has that. Before we get uh, further into it, let's go to the scriptures and look at what Mark said that Jesus said. Mark wrote this down in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 35. So let's look at that. Uh, Jesus and the disciples uh, were traveling to a house. They were on their way. They were on this little trip, and they were on their way. And uh, Mark writes, when they got to the house, when they got to the house, Jesus asked them, his followers, what were you arguing about on the road? So, so just get this picture in your mind. They're just walking along. Jesus is, of course, out front. He's the leader. He hears something going on behind him. He can tell it's not just talking, but there's a debate going on. So he asked them, what were you arguing about uh, on the road, but they kept quiet because I think they already knew he wouldn't approve of what they were talking about because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. So the Bible goes on in the same passage to say, the Bible goes on, thank you. He sat down, Jesus sat down and called them around him and said, so you want to talk about greatness, do you? You know, they're probably just kind of embarrassed right now. You want to talk about greatness? Anyone wanting to be the greatest must be the leastest. Must be the least. If you want to be great, you've got to be willing to be the, and you've got to be the of all. Can you see this scene in your mind? I mean, they're just walking down the road. Jesus hears it. And they're like kids, you know. This is, I got to tell you, man, when you read this uh, discussion that the disciples are having, it's really, really childish. 
It's really, really immature. It's like back in the day when I was little, before second grade, when I would say, I'm Superman today, you're Spider-Man, and the big loser had to be the Green Hornet. <laughs> Y'all remember those guys? And, and so they would go, well, I was, I was Spider-Man last time. I get to be Superman this time because Spider-Man, if his web deal ain't working, he's pretty much nothing. And so Superman is like super. And he can beat up anybody, and he can beat up Spider-Man, and the Green Hornet beat up everybody. And so he can fly and stuff. And so, so we would have these arguments until we finally decided being the great leader I am, that I would be Superman. So we would, um, we would have those arguments. And this is kind of like the argument the disciples are having. I'm going to be the greatest. No, I, I'm going to be the greatest. I, I want to be the greatest. I think I should be the greatest. And Jesus kind of comes along and says, time out, guys. And I think Jesus was saying to them, you're on the right topic a little bit. You're kind of on the right topic. But you're discussing it the wrong way. I think Jesus said to them, you know what? I understand why you want to be great. I understand why you have a desire to be significant. Because my dad, our father in heaven, put that in you. Our heavenly father put it in you to be great. God put it in everybody in this room to be significant. To have a significant life, to live a significant life. Jesus goes, the part you're not going to like, because I know your nature, is how you get great. And how you have a significant life. And how you go down in history as someone who did something great. You've got to serve You've got, to be, you've got to serve. You've got to be the least of all. That, that is what Jesus was illustrating when he girded himself with a towel and got down on his knees and washed the feet of men he created. He was illustrating to us to be great, you have to be the least and you have to be the servant of all. So their jaws must have dropped, just like probably some of you. You know, we don't want to hear that. That's not our nature. When we think of greatness, we don't think about being the least. We think about being the greatest. We're like, how many of y'all remember Muhammad Ali? Remember Muhammad Ali? Still living, certainly having a lot of physical challenges these days. But a lot of us, our human nature wants to think like Muhammad Ali thought about greatness. And he went through life saying a little phrase over and over and over, what was it? And, and how did he say it? I am the greatest. That's how he said it. So I do a good Muhammad Ali. Y'all might not think so, but it's awesome. And so I heard this story this week about Muhammad Ali. He was on an airplane, and the flight attendant came up to him and told him he needed to put on his seatbelt. And, of course, immediately Muhammad Ali said, I am the greatest. I don't need a seatbelt. And she said, sir, it's a rule. Everybody has to wear a seatbelt. Muhammad Ali said, I don't have to live by the rules because I am the greatest. And he reminds her, Superman didn't need no seatbelt. So the flight attendant said, sir, Superman didn't need an airplane to fly. You do put on your seatbelt. So from time to time, self-proclaimed greatness 
runs into reality. It runs into, with Christians, what you think greatness is runs into a sermon like you're going to hear today and next Sunday where Jesus said greatness isn't what you think it is. Or rather, getting to greatness isn't the road you think it is. So Jesus comes along and tells them that the road to significance, the road to a significant life, the road to greatness is not paved with our narcissistic, egocentric ways where everything's all about us. That is not how you get to greatness. That is what the world tells you. That is what the culture around us says. They say that's how you get to true greatness. But Jesus says that the road to true significance is paved with serving. Jesus clearly said it. True greatness is about a willingness to be the least and to be content being the least. Jesus didn't just teach it, but like I just told you in the, just one example, there are many, many examples of him washing their feet. He didn't only teach this principle, he modeled it. He lived it. Jesus did it. He didn't just tell it, he showed it. That's so important. And I'm about to, I don't want, I don't want the guys to go there yet on the screen because I want to set this up. I'm about to go to a verse in the Bible that really, I want to tell you, if you get this verse, if you get this verse and you absorb this verse that's about to pop up on the screen in just a minute, and you accept it as truth, and you begin to pray this verse into your life that I'm about to give you, then you got this. The verse that I'm about to give you is so simple that here's what's going to happen. If you're not really careful, it's just going to go whoosh right by you, and here's why, because you've heard it so many times. Now, I want you to listen to me. Listen to this. The verse I'm about to put on this screen is a key that is going to unlock some things in your life that have been bound. Now, it isn't just reading the verse and believing the verse. It's going to be living the verse. When you begin to live this verse, when you believe it and you begin to live it, and really the Bible says you don't really believe something unless you live it, unless you do it. Now, if you want to write some extra scriptures down in your notes, I'm reminded right now, and I'm not going to go there because I love to preach on this passage, is Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, where he talks about the Word of God, knowing it, observing it. So it's, it's like uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. He talks about observing the Word of God to do it. Studying the Word of God to do it. Knowing the Word of God, knowing it for the purpose of doing it. Bible knowledge isn't enough. And I'm going to talk about this more in just a minute. But Bible knowledge isn't enough. It is the living out of the Scripture. As a matter of fact, and this is going to be a controversial statement, but that's all right. I'm controversial all the time. For a person to know a little bit about the Bible and live it out is way better than knowing a whole lot about the Bible and not living any of it out. 
So when you come along and tell me all the classes you've been to and you tell me all the degrees you got, I mean, you've been so many colleges, Bible college, you know, you got more degrees than a thermometer. We're all impressed. I would rather know a little bit about the Bible and do the part I know than to know a whole lot about the Bible and sit in pride of my knowledge. Y'all hear me? Everybody getting that? Because there are people who will intimidate you with their telling you all they've learned about the Bible and all the Bible study they've done. I love Bible study. Bible study is essential. Bible study is the lifeblood, part of the lifeblood of the Christian life. But I'll tell you something. When all you do is study the Bible and you don't serve, it makes you hard-hearted. When all you do is study the Bible and you don't serve others, it makes you prideful in your knowledge. Okay? So look what Jesus said. Luke 4.38, Jesus said, your knowledge of the Bible is the measure of your greatness. Is that what it says? Okay. Your memory of Greek words. <laughs> Betatar, remember that one? Last week? Is <laughs> his own child this one? Two Greek words, Betatar, out of them, okay? <laughs> Jesus said, your what? Everybody say it. Reveals. Shows everybody is the true measure of your greatness. Not what you know. I'm a, look, I love people who know. But people who do, their impact is the greatest, the people who do. So we have a fatal disease. I have the disease, you have the disease. It is the disease of the worst kind. It is called selfishness. I got it. You got it. If you're mad because I said that, you got it bad. <laughs> God says the cure for this disease is serving. Serving. Serving equals significance. Serving equals Significance. Now, I know some of you have already decided this is a volunteer recruitment sermon and you've tuned me out, but I just want to tell you it isn't about that. This is, this is not about that. I'm, I'm saying that when serving becomes a lifestyle for you, when, when you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you so deeply that you're not the first person you think of, but others, it's going to unlock a liberty in your life in Christ that you've never known. It's going to, look, you talk about Bible study becoming rich. You talk about Bible study changing you and affecting you and having an impact on you. When God sees your willingness to not only learn it, but do it, he's going to pour into you things about himself, strength, faith that you've never known before. 
Everybody wants significance in their life, and the reason they do is because God put that desire in them. Nobody wants to wake up one day and go, what happened? I wasted my life. God gave me years to live on this earth, and I've wasted them. All of us want a significant life. Here's the problem. We're mixed up on what that is. We're mixed up on what it is because what Jesus said a significant life is and what our culture says a significant life is is just totally different. So let's look at what does it mean when I say that you need to be the least, I need to be the least, you need to be a servant, I need to be a servant. What does that mean? Here's what that means. Please get this. Please get this. It means that you allow the Holy Spirit to develop in you a very sensitive radar detection system that is constantly detecting opportunities around you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to bless somebody. Now, a lot of us think about that. Matter of fact, I'll tell you, uh, our, our church here at the bridge, you, you guys have been an example to other churches, and so we get calls all the time on how did you get those volunteers and, and how did you get them to be so selfless. And we get notes from visitors all the time saying it is the friendliest church and I, everybody acted like they were happy to see me. And, it was, and, and maybe some of you are sitting here and you go, I haven't had that great an experience. I understand. We don't always, sometimes we hit a single, sometimes we hit a double, triple, sometimes we'll hit a home run. So we're human. But generally, the reports that come in about our church when people visit here are very, very, very good when it comes to you being a loving church to them. Not 100%. Nobody's perfect. But they're very, very, very good. Better than any church I've ever pastored. And so we get a lot of calls from other pastors. We get a lot of calls from other churches going, how did you do that? How did you do that? And, and can you help me because I want our church to be like that? Or pastors will come here and visit, and you guys are so loving to them and so friendly to them and so ser- serving and, and so um, not about yourself and about them that they are like, I want this culture in my church. I want it in my church. And, and so, pastor, can you help me or can some of your staff help me? So I wanted to brag on you right before I, I nail you here. So, <laughs> no, seriously. Um, but, but here's, what, here's what I want the bridge to do. And I got to tell you, I see evidence that this is happening, but I want to challenge you who it's not happening in you yet. I want to challenge it in you. I want us to go to the next step in that. And I want you to take that attitude that you have here and make sure it's out there. Because when you're willing to be the least, and I don't mean be a doormat, But when you're willing to be the least, when you're willing to not think of yourself first and you're willing to think of others first and you've got that radar, don't don't wear it on top of your head, you'll look funny. But you know those radars you see on top of those big boats and on top of airplanes and you know this airplane that just vanished and we couldn't find it and still haven't found it. And uh, it was just amazing to me the kind of equipment they brought out, even though they haven't found it, the kind of equipment they brought out to find it. I didn't know we had detection systems that could go that deep in the water and all of that. So I just say that as an example that God 
wants to develop in you a radar system that when you walk out in the foyer from this service, that you're not just all about getting in your car and getting in it and getting off the parking lot as quick as you can, but you've got a sensitivity. Is there somebody I need to encourage? Is there somebody I need to speak to? Am I about to walk by somebody who's got tears flowing? Father God, Holy Spirit of God, make me somebody who is not just sensitive when I'm on duty, but sensitive all the time to people around me. Amen? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, listen. What God will do through your, let's not even talk about what's going to happen in the church. The impact of that on this church, I, I can't even tell you what that would be. But the impact it's going to have on you, on you, the reason God doesn't get some things to us is because he, know, he knows we're not going to let it flow through us. So you might be praying about some things and you're frustrated because God just isn't moving and God's looking at you going, you know what, I'm going to get that to you when I know you're going to bless somebody else. When I know you're going to share with somebody else. When it's no longer just about you, I'm going to bless you in ways You've been asking me to bless you for a long time. But God is not about pouring into a reservoir. We're not a reservoir. We're not, we're not containers that hold his blessings. We are conduits through which his blessings in our life flow out to others. And look, you might not be able to do as much as somebody who makes a bunch of money. Or you might not be able to do in the eyes of the world as much as somebody who, who is in a great position of leadership and a great position of influence. You might not be able to do what they do. But you know what Jesus said about Mary when she took that spikenard and that oil and poured it all over Jesus? He said, leave her alone. She hath done what? Do y'all remember? She hath done what? What she could. Y'all need to read your Bible. She hath done what she could. He didn't say she did what Martha could, or she did what Peter, James, and John could, or she did what uh, uh, Lazarus did. Lazarus was her brother. She, he said Mary did what she could. Can I tell y'all something? That's all God wants out of you. There are people in here who think, I'm not as great as Billy Graham. Yes, you are. If you do what you could, that's all Billy Graham has done. He's done what he could. Now, his ministry is big, and his ministry is famous, and his ministry has millions of dollars flowing through it, and, and his children are coming along, and they're taking up the, the mantle, and they're doing ministry. And I love Billy Graham, but I'm telling you, Billy Graham was called to do that thing that is big in the eyes of God, but if you are faithful in the thing he has asked you to do and called you to do, you are just as, you are just as obedient, just as, your, your ministry is just as big, just as powerful, just as influential, just as pleasing to God as his ministry is. When you get before God at the judgment as a Christian, He's going to call Billy Graham up and go, Billy Graham, you did what you could, and here's your crown, and you're liable to be standing right beside me and him. <laughs> I like to sit that by you, didn't I? You're going to be standing right there with me and Billy, baby, I'm telling you. I call him Billy. And um, 
you're going to be standing right there beside him, not because you had a worldwide ministry, but because you did what you could, just like Billy Graham did what he could. You know what the crowns are for in the last days? For Christians? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Were you faithful? Not how big was your ministry. Not how much money. Not how many people. Were you faithful? Because if you were faithful, your reward will be just like his reward if he was faithful. Am I making any sense here? And when God sees that you understand that, and that you, you know why a lot of Christians never do anything for God? Because they're waiting for some big job that God never is going to give them because he doesn't want them to have it. They're waiting for some big job in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the church sometimes. Jo other jo some jobs in the church are, are, more, are, are more special to God or, or, or greater. Listen, whatever he's called you to do is important just like it is with Billy Graham, just like it is with other great ministers of God that you know. So what does it mean to be the least? It means that you have allowed the Holy Spirit to develop in you a radar system so that when you are going through the course of your day, whether it is in your own home, whether it is in the marketplace where you work, whether it is at school, whether it is in the community where you live, at the grocery store, at the post office, wherever it is that you go through in the course of a day, that you have your radar on and you have it set to high sensitivity because there are people all around you every day who need somebody to encourage them, who need somebody to help them. Let, let me just give you an illustration. What if... What if we trained our, let's keep it right here at the church. What if we trained our parking lot attendants out there and we told them this is what you do and, you know, people drive in, you, you, you know, let the joy that's in your heart as a Christian, let it flow out, put on the big Mickey Mouse hands and wave. And, and we, you know, we tell, we teach our, our parking lot attendants, our culture of our church is loving, friendly, big old smiles. We laugh a lot at this church. We want people to know that in the parking lot. We don't want them to just know that in here. We want them to know out there that that's the kind of church we are. So here's how you park a car. Here's how you make sure a car doesn't park in Pastor Farrell's spot, you know. Here's how you do that. And uh, I park on the grass, by the way. But I uh, just thought I'd throw that in, being humble like I am. But, um, <laughs> but uh, um, you know, so we train them how to be parking attendants. And, um, but what if that parking attendant one day is doing his job or her job and somebody's walking toward the sanctuary and they're weeping? Here's what I want that parking attendant to do. And I don't even have to ask Miss Catherine about this because I know Miss Catherine's heart and her heart is the same. Would it be appropriate for a parking attendant to say, I see those tears? And I want to tell you, God loves you. And when you go in that church, when Pastor Farrell finishes, there's going to be a time of prayer at the front. Go up there and let them pray for you. But I want you to know I'm out here in the parking lot with my Mickey Mouse glove on, and I'm praying for you right now. I'm praying for you already. And then sometimes that parking lot attendant might 
say, you know what? If you're okay with it, we'll have a little prayer right now. Now, I'm not going to get loud. In the name of Jesus, come out of her. You know, we're not going to have that prayer because they're going to get back in the car then and go somewhere else. And I'm going with them. Amen? But we just, we just keep it on the DL, baby. Keep it on the down low. And we just take them by the hand. We say, Father, just, I don't know this young lady. Maybe you just learned her name. And maybe it's, uh, I don't know, Beelzebub or something. And you say, no, that's wrong. That would be wrong with yeah, Hortense. And so you say, God, you know, bless Jane or bless Mary, Father. And I've just met her and I know she's struggling. I don't know what it is. Don't need to know. But I just ask you to bless her today. And as she goes into the worship center, I pray that you'll just lead pastor to speak to her heart. And I pray the music will help her. And that when the prayer team, she'll come and let the prayer team pray for her at the end. Father, just bless her today. In Jesus' name, amen. See, that's what I'm talking about. I'm telling you right now. When God sees that in people, you say, well, I can't do that at Food Lion. But see, it's a different culture here. Because when you come up on church grounds, that's acceptable even in the parking lot to say, I want to pray with you. You might freak somebody out in the grocery store parking lot, but you know what? You could walk up to them and you could go, I see those tears. I'm praying for you. And then walk away. I go to the bridge. Bridgechurch.cc. www.bridgechurch.cc. No, don't do that. You just look at it. 919-735-5411. So, but you, it's not about the church, is it? It's about the kingdom. So you're walking through the parking lot, you're seeing that, or you're seeing, or you, you just know. I mean, sometimes when you're walking with God, buddy, God just goes, I want you to, I want you to say something encouraging to that person. God, I don't even know them. And you're like, I can't do that. So you think, well, that's just me. And then you go on, you know, you're walking by the butter beans. And God's still saying it. And then you go by the squash and he's still saying it. I love vegetables. And so then finally you turn and go, hey, listen, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I just want to tell you I'm praying for you. That's it. Bless you. Have a great day. I don't know anybody who would go, police, get the police. In. No, I don't know anybody. Matter of fact, let me tell you what our prayer team does. Our prayer team gets $5 Walmart cards and they walk around Walmart and they say I won't give you this and the person goes you know what's this all about you know because no, nobody gives it just want to give you this want you to use it today we're from the bridge and we just wanted to bless you that's it we just wanted to bless you and then we'll say is there anything I can pray about and then that person inevitably will tell us something Pray for my marriage, pray for my children, pray for my aunt. I just found out she's sick, you know. And then we'll even, if we sense it, if the girl senses it, they'll say, can we pray, do you mind if we pray a little prayer right now? What if we pray a little prayer right now? And sometimes they'll go, yeah, that's okay. And then we just pray with them right there. See, that sensitivity through the day, that sensitivity throughout the day because listen, 
The world is telling you it's about you. Your own human nature you got from Adam and Eve is saying it's about you. As a matter of fact, the world will even say if you focus on other people, if you, if you help other people, you're not going to get what you need. That is a total lie. Buddy, Jesus said, you sow it, I'll pour it right back into you. Press down, shaking it. You get sh running over. Did y'all get that? Shaking. A lot of people don't know what that looks like. I want to show you. So let me just give you a couple of illustrations. Good Samaritans going along one day. Good Samaritans going along. Church people have already passed this guy by. He's in the gutter. He's been beaten. He's been robbed. His clothes have been taken. So he's down there in, in the most humiliating of circumstances. And you ought to go home, look this up in your Bible, the Good Samaritan, the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And church people walked, walked by him, religious people, but then a true Christian came by. And he looked down and saw. And I know he had an agenda that day. I know he had a schedule. I know he had a list of to-dos. Don't you have those every day when you get up? Every day you get up, you know, and you're thinking, you're not even talking to your family because you're thinking, I got to get this done, I got to get by there, and I got to go to that, and I got to see that, and I got to take them there and go pick them up. And so he had a list, but he is so given over to God that he allowed God to interrupt his schedule and interrupt his day to minister to somebody. Can God interrupt your day? I mean, can God even get a word in edgewise? Because he interrupted this guy's day, and this guy said, yes, God, I'll do it. And he got down there and took his own coat off and put it around him. And the Bible says he, he cleaned up his wounds and bound him up and bandaged and put him on his animal and brought him to the Thunderbird Motel. Bought him I stayed in a Thunderbird Motel one time. It was an experience. Now, so he took him to the, to, the, to the inn. He took him to the, to the inn. And he checked him in and he gave the innkeeper money. He said, I've got to go take care of my work. He said, but here's money. You take care of him. I'm going to come back through. I'll check on him. But please make sure he gets everything he needs. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That you're going through the process of your day. Listen to me. In your home in the workplace, at school, in your community, and in your church, you are going through the processes of a day, but that radar is up, it is turned to high sensitive, and it's looking around all the time to say, who can I be a blessing to? Now, I'm telling you, because you know what? The enemy comes along, and he's whispering in your ear right now, and he's going, what about you? What about you? What about you? You gotta remember the words of Jesus. When you make it not about you, it becomes all about you. Because when he looks and sees your lack of selfishness, he pours into your life. He blesses your life. I'm telling you, I've illustrated this before. When you get all your stuff and you go, this is my stuff. And I don't want anybody to get my stuff. I don't want anybody to have my stuff. But when you say, you know, this is stuff God has given me, but I don't hold it tightly because God might want me to bless somebody with it. And then you take that thing that 
And he'll come along sometimes and tell you to give something. You go, I didn't know you were going to tell me to give that, you know? And then you say, but no, he won't leave me alone. He won't let me, he won't leave me alone. I'm going to give it. And so he gives, you give it, and then you wait, because whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap, and you always reap what you sow. When you put butter beans in the ground, you don't get corn back, you get, I'm loving butter beans today. I don't know what that is. You reap what you sow, you, you don't reap it when you sow. You don't put a seed in the ground and then go, come on, come on. You don't get up the next morning and go, where is it? Where is it? It takes what? So you go ahead and sow it in faith. You reap what you sow. You reap later than you sow. And you always reap more than you sow. If that's not true, then God lies. And I don't know who you serve, but my God don't lie. He don't lie. When God wrote that in the Word, he didn't say that's a great suggestion. Think about it. It works sometimes, sometimes it don't. Whatever, just try it once in a while. Maybe it'll work for you. Works every time. Works every time. Matthew 8, 35. Look what it says. Matthew 8, 35. It says, if you want to try to keep your life for yourself, you're going to... I've got a barn over there with some more of my stuff. And I just added on a closet. I really did. <laughs> so Millie can put more of her stuff. <laughs> Y'all with me? So when you do this, you don't keep this stuff. You So if you want to try to keep your life for yourself, you're going to, but, but, if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the, what's another word for that? Gospel. You will find. I mean, that's just how God thinks, man. Can I tell you, you can't grow spiritually if you don't serve. That's why I said a while ago, I would rather be a person who knows a little bit about the Bible and is doing that little bit than to be somebody who knows a whole bunch about the Bible but basically doesn't do anything unless it, is, unless it is showing everybody how much Bible he or she knows. So on the other side of your card is a little self-evaluation thing. On the other side of your note card. And I don't want you to fill that out here. I want you to fill that out later. And if you don't fill it out, I mean, that just says a whole nother thing. But I want you to write down, where am I serving at home? I want you young people to write down, write down stuff. We got young people in here. We got teenagers in here. We got youth in here. I want you to write down, where do you serve at home? I don't, I don't want you to write down where you're made to serve at home. I want you to write down, look, here, let me, can I preach to the teenagers and the youth for just a minute? I don't care how much worship you're doing out there in the riot building. I don't care how um, you know, you're worshiping and you know the Bible and you know, you're smarter than everybody else in the room and you're very spiritual. But then at home you rebel. 
Those things don't go together. You tell me you're an awesome young person of God and your mama and daddy can't get you to clean your room up. And when you, they want you to clean your room up, it's a fight to get you to clean your room up. That's hypocrisy. A child, a young person, a teenager, uh, uh, um, and I know most of our middle schoolers are out there in the other building right now. They need to hear this. I'm sure Josh will make sure they get this, Pastor Josh. I just want to tell you, you it, and adults, same thing. It doesn't matter how much we stand in here, and it doesn't matter how many Bible studies we go to. I'm telling you, Jesus said the measure of a person's greatness is how they treat other people, serving being the least. So write down, where do I serve at home? I know you moms probably aren't going to have enough room there. You men, some of you men need to write down some stuff. Where do you serve? Then talk about your job. Stop bellyaching about your job. Stop bellyaching about your terrible boss, the mean people you have to work with, the low money you get paid, bellyaching about the fact that you didn't get that raise, you didn't get that promotion. Stop that. And look, look, I'm not saying you don't have every right to bellyache about all those things. I'm sure if I were in that position, I'd want to bellyache. But I'm just saying, start going, you know what? This is a mission field right here because these people need some Jesus up in here. Amen? And start exemplifying to the people you work with how you wish you were being treated. I think somebody said one time, do unto as you would have them to, I, Shakespeare, somebody said that. Who said it? Jesus. Where do I, y'all weren't sure about that, were you? Jesus said that, all right. So where do I serve at home? Where am I serving in my job? As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, you don't have any right to expect your workplace to get any better until you start having a heart of servanthood in your workplace. Where do I serve in my community? Do the people who live around me know I'm a Christian? Or do they at least know I'm a good person? Do, how can I serve? Can, can I, is there a way I could find out kind of what's going on with the people who live around me? And when I find out what's going on, can I go down there and just say, I love you, I care about you, I'm praying for you. You go to a different church, you don't go to my church. But I just want you to know I care about you. We don't know what where that will lead to. We don't know what that will unlock in them, and we don't know what it'll unlock in you. Where do I serve at my church? And I know some of you are thinking, I knew it. I knew he was going to get to that one. Here comes that recruiting plug. Where's the little sign-up card? I know it's here somewhere. You know. No, I'm not. It's not about that. It's not about that. I'm telling you, I'm talking to you about a lifestyle. This is not a sermon about we need more people in kids' church and we need more people in the parking lot. But there are always openings in our church because our church is growing. There are always openings for ministry and service in our church. And, and we'll let you know what those are. We're going to let the people know out there, you know, we want them to serve, our new people. But I'm talking about a lifestyle. I'm talking about serving that isn't even connected to this church. It'll bless this church when you do it because you're a part of this church. But if you say, I'm going to serve in my community, I'm going to serve in my home, I'm going to serve in um, my workplace, I'm going to serve in the church, it's going to rebound back to this church and it's going to unlock stuff in you and it's going to unlock stuff in other people. Let me give you a couple things and I'm done. 
If you're going to do this, if you're going to do this, the first thing you've got to do is uh, you've got to get rid of your excuses. People have all kind of creative excuses, don't they? I, I mentioned in the early service that I knew a guy one time that had a Rolodex of excuses, and one of the young people in the church asked their daddy what a Rolodex was. So um, anyway, he kept a list, we'll say, of excuses. Excuses are not new to God. None of our excuses are catching God off guard. God dealt with excuses pretty early in the Bible, all the way back to what two people? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were the first ones. And buddy, it did not take them long to do two things, come up with excuses and blame the other one. God comes down and goes, Adam, you ate that. You ate the forbidden. He said, the woman you gave me, it's that woman. I, I didn't even see a snake. Be lame, blame, and then excuses, excuses on why we don't want to live the way you've told us to. And then there was Moses. And then he told Moses, you're the man. I want you to lead the children of Israel out of the Egyptian bondage. You, I, want, I need your time. I need your talent. I need your energy. I want you to do it. The first thing Noah, Moses said, first thing Moses said, who remembers the first thing he said? I stutter. I can't talk. I, 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 I can't talk right. And I'm sure God went, forgot that, scratch it. How many of y'all know God already knew he had some challenges? And God said, you know, be, he came up with other stuff. He's like, my arthritis is kicking in. I got a case of the gout. My beard hurts. There's just a lot of reasons, those last three I made up. But people come up with a lot of reasons, excuses. I want you to write down some of your excuses. Let me tell you what some excuses I hear. Now, you, some of these excuses you don't say to me directly, but you say to other people and it gets back to me. The church is too big. The church is too big. Well, we got a little one in Goldsboro. <laughs> Amen. Amen. It's not too little, though. We had 400 last week out there. Isn't that amazing? Amen. Let's praise God for that. Church is too big. And here's what the thinking on that is. It's too big, so I don't, I'm not needed, man. I, they don't need me out there. How many of y'all know if the organization gets wider that the volunteer base has to get way wider? Or it becomes a narrow volunteer base and then you got this wide organization and it's top heavy. People say, I know, boy, they got such talent, man. Did Jane sing that last song in worship today? Did that girl sing that song? You say, I can't sing like that. I don't have talent like that. But you've got talents Jane don't have. Jane can't, Jane doesn't know how to do everything. She sure knew how to do that today, but she doesn't know how to do everything. I'm busy. Here's the deal. I get here all these things. You know, the Bible says if you will embrace your shortcomings, if you will embrace your limitations, that God will show up. God will say, listen, I hear you, but I'm going to show up because I want to use you, and I'm going to use those things that you think aren't good and you think they're not strong in your life. I'm going to use those. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 12 and 10. 2 Corinthians 12 and 10, for when I am weak, then I am. The less I have, the more I depend on him. Awesome. And then the next and final thing, baby steps. You know, God, a lot of people, the reason they don't get involved, the reason they don't serve, the reason they're not a blessing is because they think they're too unimportant, they're too little, they don't have talent, they you know, I don't have much to offer. How about the little boy with the bread and the fish? He came up with the bread and the fish in that little lunch basket, that little lunch bag. 
and, and brought it to Jesus. And Jesus took that little thing and fed over 15,000 people. A woman came down the aisle one time to give her offering, and she only gave two pennies. And Jesus' disciples are like us. Jesus' disciples said, look at that piddly little offering there, Jesus. Jesus said she gave more than everybody else. Y'all remember that story? Why did she give more? She gave it all. See, it's not, it's not the amount, it's the heart. God looks at the heart. Look what it says in Matthew 10, 32. Even if you give a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be what? Rewarded. So sometimes, you know, you guys don't see me up here during worship. Sometimes I'm over in other parts of the church just seeing what God's doing in other parts of our church. And I love walking over to the kids' ministry and this uh, teacher, leader, is walking, the little kids got each other by hand, they're going to the water fountain. And I think about how that teacher is giving one of the least of Jesus' followers a drink of water. He just picks him up by the collar and shoves him down on that. Is that enough? Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. You know, wake the kids up. Some of y'all need that. So, so, you know, we think, well, I can't do anything, you know, because God, I, listen, we got, we're a big church for this area. We're, I, if we were in Texas, we would not be a big church. If we were in Southern California, we wouldn't be a big church. There are a lot of places in the country where the bridge would be an average church, but we're in Princeton, North Carolina, so we're a big church. And we got big old screens, and we got big old uh, reputation in the community, and we got big old buildings. So you get this whole idea, and the culture puts it on you. If you can't go big, go home. And that is wrong. That is wrong. Don't buy into that. The Lord looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. There's so much I could say today. But look at 1 Chronicles 28, 9. The Lord sees every and understands and knows every plan and thought. It's your heart he's looking at. You can't sing like Jane. I can't sing like Jane. But I do what I can. And Jane does what she can. And you do what you can. And you know what? It might not be on this campus. It might be out there somewhere. But here's what I'm telling you. God looks at the heart. So how do you have a significant life? How do you have it? Let's stand. Let's all stand up. How do you have a significant life? You have a significant life by finding a need and meeting it.